Hello, and welcome to Coverage Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Into the Wild. Into the Wild was written by John Krakauer and was published in 1996. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2007, was directed by Sean Penn? Strange. It has a question mark after it, so you have to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because he actually hasn't directed a ton of movies, especially after this one. I think there's one other IMDb credit after this, so mm-hmm. kind of a selective director. Definitely a unique vision mm. for this story. Just to give a little background on this, the events that we're going to talk about took place in the early 90s, and obviously it's been a long-ass time since then. (laughs) In fact, like, we were born in the year of many of these events, so it's been, like, as long as we are alive. Yeah, essentially. Uh, (laughs) The year of... um uh, the year of our Lord, uh, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> 80. <laughs> yeah, the, the the year of Alex McCandless's death and its reporting on uh, was the year we were born. So I feel like we were just talking about this with Malcolm X, the yeah. movie, because that was this, that year as well. So. A prolific year in yes, many ways. huge. You don't hear about 93 ever. It's only 92. It's always 92. <laughs> um, and this story is about Chris McCandless, um, and he... Changes his name, though, Yeah. during his lifetime and during his kind of like going off on his own. So he changes his name to Alexander Supertramp. Yes. And so I think we've agreed to call him Alex during the episode. Yeah. Uh, We will no doubt fuck up and call him Chris probably 50 times. Just know. Our intention is to respect the fact that he wanted to rename himself. Yeah, yeah, it seems like the fair thing to do. Yeah. Um, But even that is a little complicated, which we'll probably address at the end. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so we'll try to be consistent and call him Alex. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this uh, story is just unique in a number of ways. Uh, I mean, as a true story, I think it touches a nerve with people to one degree or another. you know, and, and sticks with people longer. And but like, yeah, this story has remained relevant for so long. You know, the movie was directed 15 years later after the events yeah. of the book. So clearly, mm-hmm. like people still had an interest in it in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I mean, continue to do so today. Yeah. And in fact, um, Alex's sister, uh, Corrine McCandless, wrote a book uh, only, I think, five or six years ago about her brother and about their family life. And that book is called The Wild Truth. And I've only read like the back cover like flap so far, but basically she says that some of the things that she she told John um, Krakauer when he was writing the book, um, she asked him to withhold from the actual published final product that the book was. Um, so that there's more to the story, basically, that she lays out in this memoir, basically. So if you're very curious about this and are like, wow, tell me more, it sounds like a lot of really interesting information, we are going to do a bonus episode on The Wild Truth and also um, some supplementary documentaries about Chris slash Alex's life. Um, so all our patrons who support us on Patreon can look forward to a bonus episode this month on additional going deeper into the wild. Let's say that farther into the wild, even deeper. <laughs> <laughs> let's begin uh, with the story, though. And both book and movie do begin kind of with the same 
scene essentially, which is the the main character Alex having hitched a ride to the beginning of the Stampede Trail in Alaska, mm-hmm. where he's going to embark on his great Alaskan odyssey. Yes. And so this is kind of like, you know, the scene is played out for us in the book and we kind of see it a bit in not not a whole lot in the film. Yeah. Uh, mostly him just being dropped off. But we get the perspective that uh, you know, Krakauer interviewed this guy and he was like Who you gave know, him a ride. Who gave him a ride, yeah. And he he, you know, noted that Alex did not have a ton of equipment for supposedly staying in the woods for like months. Yeah. And uh, as he dropped him off, he kind of felt guilty. So he lent him uh, a pair of his boots mm-hmm. and also like a couple sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. So I do like this kind of already establishing all the people that Alex encounters in the story and kind of them helping him and like feeling for him. Yeah. And their perception of him kind of going off to do this thing in the woods. And we also know from the beginning of the book that Alex dies out there in the wild. Yeah. It, the book... I guess, like, it, I I was curious watching this movie. You know, this story is super well-known, despite Alex kind of, you know, being such a low-key person yeah. in real life, you know, kind of became famous in a way uh, after he died. And so I was curious watching the movie. I'm like, did anyone watch this movie not knowing the ending? Yeah. Uh, the book, you know, comes right out at the beginning and explains uh, kind of the situation of his body being found mm-hmm. at the bus that he uh, was living out of in the woods. Yeah. And kind of the the different people that came across him. And I love all the different asides that Krakauer goes into in the book, you know, explaining the different groups of people, how they ended up there on the same day. Yeah. Uh, and this was... Boy, how many months after he went into the woods? It was so. Yeah, he went into the woods. I think in April of yeah. 1992, and then he his body was found in September. Yeah, and he had only been dead for like a couple weeks at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so right off the bat, at least in the book, you you definitely know what kind of story this is and where it's going, and and the book and movie do jump around a lot. The book more so. The book kind of. Uh, goes back and forth from uh, Alex's journeys in the West to his past to like sometimes being in, you know, Alaskan frontier to other characters who are unrelated to the story. Yeah, it jumps around a whole lot and the movie kind of follows the same thing, but it keeps it a little simpler. There's like two running timelines. Yeah, there's like Alex just in the West before going to Alaska and then him in Alaska. Yeah. And we get some voiceovers occasionally from his sister. Yeah. uh, Which kind of go into his past a little bit but you still have those kind of two tracks that kind of keep you a little more grounded in the film anyway yeah so this makes it very confusing for me and ian and you should have heard us trying to map out our notes before (laughs) we recorded trying to figure out how we were going to do this because not only are the two stories non-linear but they do the non-linear in different ways um so we decided to make it a little simpler for us and try to do a more linear linear story um, so we're going to start kind of where, uh, Alex's story kind of kicks into gear, which is when he graduates from college. Yeah. He, uh, you know, in the film, we see him accepting his diploma and we get a good scene in the movie, which is them getting dinner afterwards. And it kind of summarizes like a few key points, uh, of Alex's past around this time. You kind of get 
the idea of what his relationship is like with his parents and with his sister. Yeah. He's very close with his sister, Corrine. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a few years apart in age. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, we're best friends basically growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think they both have complicated relationships with their parents, specifically their dad. Yeah, I really like this scene in the movie because I think it really shows a lot of different things going on mm-hmm. with the family. Um from the beginning, like, first of all, like, Alex and Corrine, like, drive separately from the parents. Yeah. And then, like, they're kind of waiting on them. And then there's, like, this conflict with the dad, Walt, who's like, Corrine shouldn't be driving. It's like this whole, like, little bit of a tiff that yeah. they have that kind of shows what their all their relationships are like to each other. We see the dad being kind of confrontational with... Alex, mm-hmm. we see Alex kind of chafing against that. And we see the mom, Billy, being kind of this, like, trying to smooth things over, being kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, and I also really like the way this scene is filmed, too. It's yeah. filmed with kind of these zoom lenses. So, like, you feel kind of this... um you know, you're, you're, it's like almost like voyeuristic. You're like looking from like, you know, at least 20 feet away kind of yeah. at this table. Cause I mean, the film language of this movie is so much like outdoors environments yeah, and kind of, um, you know, nature, uh, and like scenery and landscapes. And this feels like it's filmed in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Like you're watching some fucking caribou eat some <laughs> grass or something. <laughs> You know, like that distance. But I really like the way uh, that was brought into this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's also another kind of tiff they have where Alex's dad wants to buy him a new car. Yeah. And he currently has a Datsun. I think I'm saying it right. I don't know cars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's like this old, reliable car that he loves. That he bought with his own money. Yeah. And he's like deeply offended (laughs) that his dad offered to like get him a new car. And you could, I I like this scene too. Alex is kind of going on and on at the table in the movie. And his sister kind of like takes his hand. Yeah. Kind of like calm down it's fine you can kind of see a little bit of their relationship in that moment i think mm-hmm. yeah i like seeing the closeness between kareen and alex and then also the tension between them and their their parents and you know there's discussion of like what are you going to do after this are you going to go to law school and alex kind of says like well i need some time to pack things up here and i might like take a little road trip Um, but you know, I'll be in touch basically. Yeah. And then he completely spoiler. He does not keep in touch. He does not. (laughs) Spoiler alert. It's like the last time his parents ever see him. And his sister. And his sister. He just kind of like packs up and takes his car and drives out West and doesn't tell anyone. And in fact, he specifically has his mail, uh, withheld from, being returned to the parents, like any letters they may have sent to him, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so he waited until like August or something for that mail to get returned to them. So that, like it gave him a head start. Yeah. Because he wanted to be like gone, disappeared. It's interesting when I read about in the book when they talk about um, when the author talks about him holding his mail to give him a head start. And I'm like, it feels like he's trying to escape. Yeah. Like literally he feels like he has to put all of these things in place to like trip his parents up so they won't like catch him. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, those, uh, 
concerns aren't unfounded because it's not right away, but at some point in real life, the parents hire a private investigator to try yeah. to track him down. Yeah. And it's like you get it, you know, they're worried about their kid, but also like the level of like, oh, we're going to hire a private investigator um, does show a little bit of their like need to control. Yeah, because I mean... He is, he's an adult. He's like 22 at this point. You can't call the cops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be like, bring my kid back. Yeah. I want like by any means necessary. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's on his own. He has that right to choose to do what he wants. And I mean, Alex does take it to the extreme though. Yeah. And he really, really takes it to the extreme. I mean, <laughs> that's him with everything, though. Yeah. Um, when he After he gets to uh, the West, I think he's in... Is he in California? I think. But in, like, the desert. Oh, yeah. He's near... Uh, I think he's in Nevada. I, I do not know. He jumps around so much. Yeah. From state to state and area to area. But he's uh, kind of in a national park. He mm-hmm. drove his car into it. He wasn't allowed... And he parked his car in an area that gets flooded during a flash flood. Yeah. And uh, fucks up his car. Mm -hmm. He tries starting it too hastily. He drains the battery and then he's like shit out of luck. Mm -hmm. He can't really call anyone to get his car. Um, In the movie, this part was like a little weird. Like there was no context for what. You had no idea what was going on. Yeah, there was just a scene where his car gets hit with water. And then the next scene, he's like, I'm leaving Okay, it. bye. Yeah. And it's like, was this his plan? I don't quite understand. Yeah. And he almost like, it just accepts this as a sign that he shouldn't even, he should also, because he's like shedding everything from his life. Yeah. So he's like, this must be a sign that I should shed the, the like comfort and security of the car that mm-hmm. I've been latched onto. Because like, he also shed... Like, he destroyed his IDs. Yeah. Um, he, he burned his money. Burned his money. He donated all of his savings to a charity to help people suffering from hunger. Yeah. Um. So he's kind of, like, letting go of all the ties that bind him to what he considers, like, a life that he doesn't want to live. Yeah. And so he kind of, this is kind of, like, the beginning of his kind of just general West journey and uh kind of bumming around and hitchhiking and like living outdoors in different areas mm-hmm. this is kind of the origin of that and that's also when he gives himself this new name alexander Supertramp. yeah so one of alex's early encounters and uh people that he kind of connects with and meets with is mm-hmm. a man named wayne uh in south dakota and did he? I, kinda, I have no idea how he gets to South Dakota. <laughs> I kind of. Well, not only that, but I kind of forget how he meets Wayne exactly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I don't even think the movie explains it. I think just one point. It just picks up with him. Alex is in one of those huge uh, industrial. Um, Farming wheat, equipment. Wheat cutters. Yeah. Uh, you know, the wheat cutter. The wheat cutters. Yes. <laughs> I fully believe, I put money on it, that that's what those are called. <laughs> in the biz. Prove you wrong. You're just not in the biz, Adina. Uh, but, so he uh, gets this job at a grain elevator uh, with a man named Wayne in a uh, in Carthage, uh, South Dakota. And it's a really small, like kind of one light town. Yeah, but I love the way that this town is portrayed in both the book and the movie. Because it seems like... Very rustic, very like kind of hole in the wall type of place, but also with kind of like genuinely okay people. I'm not going to say good. I'm just going to say okay. You know, rough around the edges, rough around the edges, but like decent people. And Alex kind of 
immediately finds camaraderie in not only Wayne, but like Wayne's whole crew and the yeah. kind of group that lives in South in Carthage, South Dakota and kind of feeling like this to him feels like a more genuine sense of community and like a job than maybe what his parents have done or what his family had in mind for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alex came from a very, uh, a pretty wealthy upbringing. I don't want to say like super rich, yeah. but I mean, his dad was like a rocket scientist and like began his own consulting firm mm-hmm. that his mother was a part of. And, you know, they certainly weren't wanting growing up, I don't think. And, you know, Alex went to college, got an education. So like these types of people are like very, I think, different in a way than who he's used to but i think he loves that i think he like really latches on to like the blue collar yes salt of the earth kind of people and that whole like idea of like an honest day's work yeah because alex is a very hard worker Mm -hmm. uh you know wayne says it a lot of people say it both in uh during this job and in other situations like he's not afraid to do you know dirty jobs or um you know the ones that most people would pass up on yeah shoveling rats That kind of thing. I mean, I think this kind of speaks to Alex's ideas of like purpose and meaning in life, you know, Um, wanting work to to like really put yourself and your body into it and to it almost to be like a physical thing. And at the end of the day to be like, I did this and kind of like, I I guess, have something more tangible to like point to. Um, And like, even though he doesn't stick with this and like stay in this job. I think the book kind of asks the question that like, had he lived, he may have returned to a type of profession like this. Yeah. I mean, he, he liked this community so much that on the rest of his journeys after this, he would tell people he's from South Dakota. Um, since he adopted a new name and kind of identity, that's where he say, where he said he was from. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think this is a good point to kind of talk about Alex a little bit, just like as a person, because and also that and and how the movie and book kind of approach him differently and kind of have to, because the book is it, it's kind of trying to answer the question of who Alex is. Yeah. Kind of like what kind of person was this who just wandered into uh, the Alaskan bush with like hardly anything and died out there. But yeah. Like, with a really specific voyage and vision in mind. And I think, too, the whole idea of, like, someone from an affluent family deciding to give it up is very, like, yeah, a compelling story. Because if this was just, like, a kid who was poor, kind of, like, dying out in the wild, no one would probably care. Yeah. That's no. just how our society is. Absolutely. And so the book kind of takes this almost, like, investigative approach to it, trying to piece together from interviews and, like, diary entries from Alex's and trying to like understand who he was as a person. Yeah. I mean, Krakauer does take some liberties kind of like assuming maybe some of Alex's motives and some of his beliefs at the time. Yeah. Um, but ultimately he's like, I mean, he's just trying to understand this person, but the movie on the other hand is kind of like, this is the main character. Like yeah. this is a portrayal of him. So like two very different approaches to this person. Yeah, like one presenting it as kind of like factual and this Mm -hmm. is how it is. And then the book kind of being like, we don't know and like trying to figure that out a bit more. Yeah, because I mean, the book really focuses on what an enigma of a person Alex was in so many ways. Definitely. You know, like he he was an incredibly hard worker, 
Um, I mean, not just for himself, like when he's out in the wild, but also like when he does have a job, you know, he's very committed to it. But Mm -hmm. he also had this kind of disdain for money. He didn't want to rely on it. He didn't want to have too much of it. Yeah. Uh, And people that were too secure in that whole like a money, a house, a job, that thing. Yeah. And like alternatively, like he seemed to care growing up a lot about like global issues Mm -hmm. from like hunger to like, I I think the last two classes he took in college were like politics in Africa and the food crisis and apartheid and and apartheid. Yeah. And like, and all these other things. Uh, So he like has a deep care for these big issues, but also he wants to like completely like remove himself from society. Yeah. You know, he kind of doesn't want to be a part of it. That kind of dichotomy or like nuance of like him possibly thinking about becoming a lawyer. Yeah. You know, like almost trying to like help people, but then also being like, it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. I have to like remove myself. Yeah. And and also the fact, you know, he wants isolation, but like everyone who encountered him, who was interviewed for the book, just kind of like talked about like what an interesting person he was, like how what good company he was. He was a, a very engaged listener and uh, speaker and, you know, very smart, but down to earth. Someone that you could have like a really in-depth conversation at the bar with, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like kind of there's all these like contradictory qualities to Alex as a character and yeah. as a person mm-hmm. uh, that I think the book is able to like really explore in an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good quote uh, in Krakauer's book that I liked where he says, uh, McCandless's personality was puzzling in its complexity. He was intensely private, but could be convivial or convivial and gregarious in the extreme. And despite his overdeveloped social conscience, he was no tight-lipped, perpetually grim do-gooder who frowned on fun. To the contrary, he enjoyed tipping a glass now and then and was uh, encourageable ham. <laughs> <laughs> An incorrigible ham. I'm sorry, Krakauer really uh, peppers that with oh, a lot that's, of that's a tough passage. Multi-syllable words, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, I think um, that kind of struck a, to the root. I think of you know, Krakauer trying to understand Alex and almost how that's like impossible to kind of like fully understand him. Yeah, and I think it too speaks to the fact that like he's 22. Yeah, and you know, when he dies, he's only 24, and like we know from science that you know, human brain development doesn't really stop until you're over 25. Yeah, he's still growing and understanding himself, like both like in a chemical brain way and also just like in a... And just experiencing the world type of way. He's a very young man. Yeah. Um, and I love a couple scenes in both the book and the movie where we see Alex kind of interacting with Wayne and some other people at the bar. But there's a great part in the movie where he and Wayne are kind of talking about the ills of society. <laughs> society. Society. I, uh, Vince Vaughn plays Wayne in this movie. I think he's great. He's, he's good. so good. Yeah. And especially in this scene, because like, you know, Alex is drunk. They're both probably drunk. And uh, Wayne's kind of egging him on. Yeah. To kind of like. For fun. For fun. Like, it's kind of amusing to him. Like, come on. Like, what what are you talking about? Like, what's wrong? And And Alex is kind of going on this almost like philosophical rant about like how bad people are, how shitty people are stabbing each other in the back. Mm-hmm. And, and and Wayne asks, like, what what people? Who are we talking about? And the first thing Alex says is, you know, parents. Yeah. Hypocrites. Politicians. politicians. And I love this scene so much in the movie because I think you're really experiencing it through Wayne's eyes. Yeah. And the look on his face. And you can tell, like, 
oh, there's something like kind of deeper with Alex, something like a little more troubled that like I don't think Alex is aware of. Yeah. And Wayne gets a little more serious. He's like, listen, you can't like worry like you can't like get too deep with this. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's not healthy. Like you don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. he kind of lightens it up from there. But like the movie has this challenge and I'm kind of mixed on how it portrays Alex because the book is very much like what kind of person was this? And like, was he crazy or was he like really deep or, you know, was what he did like profound or just really profoundly stupid? Mm -hmm. Kind of just like raising a lot of these like questions about him. And the movie, in my mind, a lot of the time kind of portrays him as like an old soul, kind of like a philosophical person. Yeah. Like you never feel like he's full of shit or anything. Yeah. Or reckless. Yeah. Um, but this scene, I think, did a good job of kind of like maybe peeling back some of those layers, maybe making you question Alex a little bit more and his motives. I agree. And there's a good scene, too, in the book where he's with Wayne and some of his buddies from the job. And like Alex ends up getting like on the piano and playing like all these <laughs> like honky tonk like songs yeah. for the whole crowd. And everyone just has like this great night together. And so kind of showing like despite how solitary he is for so much of his wanderings, like he does enjoy company and yeah. enjoys being with people um, and has like all these hidden depths, like being able to play the piano. <laughs> God, don't you ever wish you had a skill like that, that you could just, just whip like, out yeah, at a party and just shock everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, he, he works at this grain elevator for a while. Uh, Wayne, unfortunately gets arrested yeah he was like constructing these like black market boxes that were like getting people free satellite and he went to prison over it yeah and in the movie it's like so vague yeah there's just gets arrested yeah and something about like little black boxes and i'm like i'm sorry like why is he going to jail (laughs) (laughs) like what yeah uh but so alex is kind of without a job while wayne's uh in in jail for this so he kind of continues his his journey west yeah and he decides to um canoe down the colorado river and we have a funny scene in the movie where he's trying to like actually go through the proper channels and he talks to like a, a ranger or some kind of law enforcement on the park, uh, national park area. And they're basically like, um, you either have to like pay to go with someone that's licensed or you have to be on the wait list, which is 12 years long. I, this was added, right? Or at least it wasn't in the yeah. book, right? Yeah. I loved this scene. And I mean, like, it's a funny scene. But I also do do think it, like, speaks to a larger theme of, like, uh, you know, society kind of, like, pushing into nature. Yes. And, like, even, like, the wide open nature of, like, national parks and stuff are still, like, have a tight control to them. Yeah. Which I think ultimately is, like, very, very good. Yeah. But there is kind of this, like, funny... Absurdism. Yeah. Yeah, to that idea that it's, like, oh, it's nature, but you have to sign up for it and wait 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and of course, Alex is like, fuck that. Um, So he sneaks his canoe into the river and just goes on his journey, um, evading the uh, river patrol the whole way. (laughs) He meets these really weird Swedes on on, on the river. I think they're Danish. They're Danish. I'm sorry. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) They were just blonde. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so he kind of like makes his way all the way down to Mexico, right? Yeah. Like snuck past the border Mm -hmm. and he spent uh, like 
how how long? He like spent a month? 36 days in like a cave, um, kind of on the beach, uh, foraging for food. He had like a bunch of rice that he would make, but then he was just kind of like fishing, fishing yeah. collecting like, you know, sea creatures and et cetera. Um, and this time alone, he really enjoyed. And in fact, it kind of makes him want to do it again in the future. Yeah. And, and crack hour, it's funny, kind of makes the point of like, you know, a lot of all we have to go off of are his journals. And like at points, like, I think this was one of those points where he's like, he kind of just stopped journaling for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, I don't know, like, like other, there's other things that made him believe that it was like a really great experience, but ultimately there's kind of these gaps of Alex's life where it's like, we don't know. Yeah. We're kind of left to fill in the blanks or, you know, kind of just be left wondering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also crosses the border back to the U S this was pre nine 11. So they're like, oh, you don't have an I All right. Like, we'll take your gun though. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you don't have ID. You can go in back into the U S but we'll take your gun. <laughs> yeah. Just don't take a gun with you. <laughs> You'll never find a gun in the U S. <laughs> uh, but he travels like so much more around and around, but ends up eventually in bullhead, Arizona, I think. Yeah. Um, and actually, kind of has like a the most like corporate job that you will ever find him having, which yeah. is at McDonald's. He works at McDonald's. Uh, in the movie, it's Burger King. That's right. It is Burger King in the film. <laughs> Sponsored by Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said eat fresh. I'm like, what's Burger King's have it your way? I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I mean, this is just kind of a passing moment in the film, seeing him working at a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Which I think is a little jarring and weird because I think in the book it's a little more interesting because like he was more settled down at this point yeah he opened up a savings account and he was like living in like someone's trailer like shady low-key kind (laughs) of but like was somewhat settled and like crack hour is kind of left to like wonder what led him to like staying there for so long yeah because he also didn't have anyone that he like super connected with during this time or it doesn't seem that way um from the research that crack hour did um so, yeah, it's odd. Yeah, this is kind of replicated to an extent in a scene in the film where uh, he makes his way to L.A. Yeah. And he gets to L.A. and he has to stop at a uh, um, a homeless shelter. Yeah. He asks about getting an ID. So maybe this is like kind of implying he's considering going back into the regular world. Yeah. And kind of staying there. Uh, and then we get this really weird <laughs> montage of him walking around the alleyways of L.A. This was such a jarring couple of scenes. It was. And I just kind of like, oh, my God, the the, the peak of the scene, <laughs> the though. The peak. The peak was uh, when he just, like, walks up to this. He's filthy. He walks up to this, like, fancy restaurant. And from inside the restaurant, we zoom in on his face, like, past people. <laughs> it's, like, such a close zoom in. And he just looks, like, so dazed and, like, crazed. Yeah, and he looks in on this, like, bougie, <laughs> like, fancy, like, lawyer-type guy. And they superimpose Alex's own face oh onto this guy. And it's almost like... Wow, we get it. He's imagining that like this could be his life and he's horrified by it. But I the whole time I kept being like, oh my God, are the people in the restaurant like terrified right now? Because he's just standing outside just being like, ah. Everyone inside is like, don't look at the window. Like they're all like trying to ignore him. Yeah, this was, there's a few parts in this movie that like 
really hit you over the head. Uh, there are some parts that are much more nuanced that I liked. Yeah. This was a part, though, where it was like him just looking in on this restaurant, like you would already understand yeah. what he's thinking. Like there, literally outside looking in. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but wait, hold on. We have to like have. What if his face is on the face <laughs> of have, a man in a suit? Yeah, we have to have him in a business suit and then he winks at himself. And, <laughs> oh, like, the wink. I forgot about the wink. I, I actually don't know if he winks. Like I imagine him winking. Okay. But... <laughs> But it's like that level. Yeah. Um, there's another scene where like the mom, you know, we get flashes to the parents back in Virginia kind yeah. of worrying about him in the film. And there's a scene where the mom passes a hitchhiker and like quickly turns the car around, mm-hmm. which I liked. But then we have a voiceover from the sister being like, every time she saw a hitchhiker, she thought it might be Alex. We're, We're like, like, we know. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> Just let us get it. <laughs> Although I do think, now that we brought up the voiceover, I think in most instances the voiceover is effective. Like, I think it helps to reconnect and remind us of the family he left behind and also fill in some gaps that can't really be told um, from the perspective of Alex. Yes, I I do like this as a mechanic, it's like a a function of the story. Um, the, The I think where I run into a little bit of trouble is like this is kind of one of the more validating factors of like Alex's lifestyle. Yeah. Her her saying like I knew whatever he was doing had to be done. Yeah. Or like, you know, his journey. And like I think that quote was from the book. Yeah. But like kind of giving her this almost like kind of voiceover, this godlike voiceover of the story and saying like, oh, he had to do this, you know, it was yeah. necessary and right kind of like justifies Taking away some of the questioning yeah, you might have. Yeah, so, like, I did kind of have mixed feelings on it to an extent. Yeah. Um, and furthermore, I kind of, like, with this whole L.A. thing, like, after he sees his ghost self having wine in the bar, uh, <laughs> he, like, takes off. He just, like, you know, fucks out of L.A. before getting his ID or anything like that. Yeah. And there, there's another uh, sad moment after this where, like, he gets discovered... Um, Hopping trains. Hopping trains and kind of gets the shit kicked out of him a bit. Yeah. And I do like seeing kind of a darker aspect of Alex's travels. Yeah. Like it's not all, you know, beauty and running through horses. And, and the, the um, perfectness of nature. Yeah. It's not all that. Like there's because, I mean, he really was kind of in the cruddy uh uh, gutters of society in a lot of ways too yeah and like people don't treat you know those who wander or who don't have permanent homes well yeah and but i guess in the movie like it kind of isolates this all in this one part yeah and it's hard to say like is it just trying to depict him going through a rough time like it feels like an isolated event yeah is what i'm saying instead of kind of being a part of his overall journey mm-hmm. so after this weird like kind of, I guess, lull in his story where yeah. he's either working at McDonald's or just wandering L.A. Um, he ends up going to Slab City, which is this community of leather tramps and rubber tramps, yes. which um, means people who are kind of aimlessly wandering on foot or in a car. Yeah. And he had already met with um, Jan and Bob in the book, Jan and Randy. Uh, Randy. <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it was different. It, one version to the... Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so 
uh, it's this couple, this kind of uh, older hippie couple. Yeah, free spirited couple traveling around. They're a rubber tramps. Yes. They pick him up. Uh, it's also worth mentioning too that like we're really sticking to more of the uh, movie order of events. Yeah, he kind of jumps around a little bit more in the book in real life, but this is giving us some guidance. So, and we did get a scene earlier of him with Jan and uh, Randy, Randy Bob. <laughs> <laughs> um. That was a kind of our introduction, but he reunites with them in the the slab slabs, city, slab city, which is kind of an old military base that was like knocked down. So it's just these concrete slabs in the desert. Mm-hmm. Kind of a cool place. Yeah, I love the way that this is like filmed and like the setting for it, because it does yeah. feel like this kind of commune esque um a combination between a commune and like a flea market. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting <laughs> People it. People like selling their wares, you know, RVs everywhere, tents, things like that. Um, there's a cool scene where he and this girl, Tracy go to this like wild, almost like exhibit type place. I loved that. Yeah. I love it. Cause like, you know, that's a real place. Yes. You know what I mean? You're like, this definitely, and that's probably almost certainly the guy who actually made it. <laughs> like, that's not an actor. <laughs> yeah, just like people kind of living their lives out in the desert, basically. Um, and he ends up meeting this young girl, Tracy, played by um, Kristen Stewart. Baby young Kristen baby Stewart. Baby young Kristen Stewart. Although, I, I shouldn't say baby Kristen Stewart because she's old enough to be thirsty as fuck. <laughs> Over Alex. <laughs> oh, yeah. She definitely wants to bang him. Um, but Alex does not want to bang her. It does seem like they have a connection, like they hang out a lot. Yeah. And this is all in the movie. In the book, um, as far as we know, he didn't really have any interest in Tracy and didn't really hang out with her that much. No, no. Uh, but we do get a scene where Tracy propositions him uh, and he's just kind of like, no. And, yeah. he, and he kind of like, says like you know he figures out she's actually 16 even though she says she's 18 and yeah. kind of attributes it to that uh but i mean it also is inter- he also just doesn't seem to be interested at all and the book kind of gets into this too which is interesting and kind of crack hour discussing like how alex seemed to have kind of this um uh oath of celibacy almost yeah potentially or at least at least kind of this moral code that was a little more focused on purity. Yeah. Um, which is interesting for uh, like a man of his age um, and kind of goes against the grain of like what we as society think is like acceptable or like healthy. Obviously, everybody's like sexual preferences are like up to them to decide like what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but I really like how the book kind of draws some parallels to in the past people like who became monks mm-hmm. and kind of that devotion to something beyond themselves and that kind of pursuit of like truth or beauty or like religious, you know, uh, trying to find like a higher purpose, I guess. Yeah. Almost like enlightenment of yes, some kind. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like Alex, as far as I remember, like, isn't like any specific religion, right? Like no. it doesn't seem to be, but like he does have kind of this spiritual side to him. He does talk about God, uh, kind of has this like, uh, uh, you know, purity kind of in mind yeah, and kind of this ideal that he strives for. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting that Krakauer included that, but he was also, I think kind of defending it too and being like, you know, our, in our society, we look at that and kind of like, 
what was wrong with him? And, yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the hell? Like how, you know, what was wrong with him? And, mm-hmm. um, and kind of like saying like, you know, he's, that doesn't mean anything that he's like crazy or anything or, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, the book gets into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He also has this really strong connection to Jan, um, the older woman who, uh, he like, hitchhiked with uh first and then kind of comes to see in slab city and there's definitely like this maternal um bond between them and we find out too that jan has a son but she hasn't heard from him in over two years and there might have been a rift there so i think she sees alex as a son yeah and almost like is trying to connect with him to replace, not replace, but call back to like the son that she has lost and to also kind of encourage him to like reach out to his family as well. Yeah. And this is like probably the one thing about Alex that is hammered uh, home most in the movie. And that is like everyone who encounters him is like, where are your parents? Why aren't you talking to your parents? Like you should call your parents. Yeah. And he's just like no interest does not. He just kind of always like trying to evade it. He kind of like, you know, is awkwardly trying to like shift the conversation. Yeah. Or just shrugging it off or kind of being like, yeah, we'll see. Like, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so kind of like multiple characters throughout the story are kind of asking him about this. And we do find out around this time in both versions a little bit more about Alex's past and his parents past. Because I mean, just a difference of like temperaments and maybe like some arguments between Alex and his dad isn't enough to really explain why he would cut them off so completely. Yeah. Um, and not only his parents, but his sister as well. Um, and we find out a lot about Walt, his dad and Billy, his mom and Chris or Alex, I'm sorry, himself (laughs) didn't discover these things until he was much older in life. Um, but basically finds out that his dad kind of had, Alex and his sister as like his second like side family when he had like an original wife and kids. Yeah, they knew his dad was married previously. They had uh, several uh, half siblings uh, that lived out in California. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's kind of. I mean, I guess maybe the parents knew he'd find out at some point. Yeah. Um, But Alex went out to California and visited. uh uh, relatives and old friends and kind of found out about this past that he like didn't know about that you know it wasn't just a clean break of a divorce and then he you know had his other family like he was kind of going back and forth and it was like very complicated and like he hurt a lot of feelings yeah and in fact um Walt uh Alex's dad um after Chris was born to Billy he still had another child with his first wife yeah they were not divorced so like that is as probably as messy as you can get having two kids like with two different people like within a couple years of each other um so it was just like really i think devastating for alex to find this out and also i think too because his dad is so um just kind of rigid and stubborn and is very like it's my way or nothing and kind of has this moral superiority to Alex. And I think Alex's whole life chafed under that. And then to find out that his, everything his dad said was basically a lie because he was 
lying to him. Yeah. He like cheated. He did all of these devious things. Um, really like shook his faith in his family. Yeah, Alex said to Corrine, his sister, that like his entire childhood felt like a lie after that. Yeah. And I think it took some time for this like anger he was feeling to really well up with his parents and for this kind of to kind of come to more of a head. Yeah. But he never really confronted them about it though. No. And so when this all happened, I think his parents were kind of like, what's going on? What's, you know, why are you, why are you so distant? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is uh, really, and we know there was at least some verbal abuse from the dad to the mom. The movie almost hints that there was some physical abuse as well. Yeah. There was also a part in the movie where the parents were going to get divorced and they yes. made uh, Alex and Kareen. Kareen decide who they wanted to live with and like they ended up not getting divorced but kind of bringing them into their fights and like kind of showing how fucked up that can be yeah and this wasn't in the book at all no now you know the movie was made 15 years after the book came out so maybe kareen because i mean i know the movie also thanked the family yeah and so maybe since maybe that'll be in that other book the wild truth there's definitely more to this story um, because we know for a fact that Corrine withheld some details from yeah. uh, Hour. So if you're curious, our bonus episode will delve into this a this lot This is our more. bonus episode plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is kind of like really fleshing out why uh Alex is doing what he's doing. There are points, though, that like I know Alex is like, kind of uh clammed up about all these details yeah but sometimes i wish like these this info wasn't delivered through voiceover from the sister yeah i think a scene where he maybe tells someone would have been more effective i mean maybe that would have been betraying who alex was as a person Mm -hmm. i don't know i think the movie maybe relies a little too heavily on the voiceover sometimes yeah i'd agree with that it's hard to say Mm -hmm. um Alex doesn't stay in Slab City. Um, you know, he says goodbye to Tracy and to Jan and Randy slash Bob um, and ends up going out into another desert area that I don't remember exactly where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the desert. Yeah. It's dry. It's hot. <laughs> I almost said what? <laughs> it's, uh, oh my God, hot springs. Yes. And so he's camping out here. And one day he's hitchhiking and he picks up a ride from an older man in his 80s named uh, Ron. Yes. I just want to say I love Ron so much. Oh my God. Ron is like the best in the movie. He's the best in the book. He's just the best. He, oh God. Yeah. He's such a great character. Such a human because, you know, he was a real person. Yeah. <laughs> um. But so he picks up Alex and immediately like. Talks to him a bit, kind of takes a liking to him. And when he drops him off at his campsite, he's kind of like, what the fuck is this kid doing out here, like, living on his own? And I think he kind of, like, has this... Protective instinct. Paternal, yeah, instinct towards Alex and kind of wanting to, like, check in on him, make sure he's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh they do, Alex gets... I'm kind of blurring the movie facts and the... Because I feel like the movie made their relationship a little more in depth than maybe it was in real life. 
I think it was accurate to the way the book portrayed Okay. Him. Yeah, they strike up a friendship and hang out a lot. Alex comes over for dinner frequently in Ron's house, and Ron actually teaches him how to leather work. Because that's something that he really likes to do. And it's cool we see Alex kind of crafting this belt that has like the story of his travels on it, which is very personal and important to him. Um, But he and Ron just have like so many conversations and discussions about like why Alex has chosen this life and, you know, Ron's life. And we find out some things about Ron's life as well. Yeah, we find out that, you know, he... uh had a wife and had a a, a kid, um, but they were both killed by a drunk driver. Yeah. And this, you know, obviously hit him extremely hard, and he kind of became an alcoholic after that. Yeah. You know, turned to whiskey. And he was that way for a while until he managed to get sober, kind of go cold turkey. And, you know, he's a religious man. Yeah. And, but... You know, he he's very warm and friendly and but also kind of a bit of um, a little bit isolated himself. Yeah. Socially. He doesn't have a lot of people that he's close to. And like Alex somehow breaks through and he just immediately feels a connection with him. And it's so sad because they seem so close and it seems like Ron really cares about Alex. And Alex actually ends up inspiring Ron to kind of like shake up his life a little bit and to try new things to, you know, you know, give up his life living in a house and kind of going by routines and maybe to like venture out into the wild a bit more. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, Alex, this is kind of like symbolized by Alex trying to get um, Ron to like kind of climb this like steep, rocky. Yes. I don't want to call it a mountain, but like, a, you know, a landmass. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, watching it, I'm like, because uh Hal Holbrook, who plays Ron in the film, was 82. Yeah, and Ron's uh, supposed to be 82. Yeah, he's like the exact age and like looks in good health. But oh, my God, he, he's he's cli- I know the whole time he's climbing. I'm like, uh, oh God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, Alex, like, what if he fell? Like, what yeah. would you do? Like, why are you doing this? But like he does really kind of inspire Ron in a lot of ways. And yeah, um, they kind of have this really sweet connection and moment and, and and Ron is also trying to reach out to Alex and he tells him like kind of talks to him about forgiveness yeah which I I like the scene a lot he talks about when you forgive you love yeah and um, that God is love and kind of bringing that spiritual connection into it and like Alex has been talking a lot about um wanting to go to Alaska at this point. Like he's very determined to like, he has this idea. He's going to go to Alaska. He's going to live up there for a few months. Um, and after that, he's not sure. Um, and Ron is like, okay, well I'll drive you like partway up to where you're going. And before they say goodbye, Ron asks if he can adopt Alex. This scene fucked me up, Adina. I know. It's so sad. This scene is so so sad i can't even like begin and and like i thought it was like touching and sad enough in the book but then yeah how hallbrook who oh plays God. him in the film is just like so sincere and honest and like it's such a touching moment i know and like alex kind of is like why don't we talk about it when i come back from alaska <sighs> it's you so can tell frustrating he's a little uncomfortable yeah. with it but maybe Maybe he would have been more open to it later. I don't know. But it just, I mean, I think it speaks to the fact 
that Alex was such a warm person that he could inspire this type of love in someone. And that also Ron was like very lonely and probably was also looking for connection. Um, there's this interesting passage um, that Krakauer writes after um, Alex leaves Ron and just says, um, McCandless was thrilled to be on his way north and he was relieved as well. Relieved that he had again evaded the impending threat of human intimacy, of friendship, and all the messy emotional baggage that comes with it. He had fled the claustrophobic confines of his family. He'd successfully kept Jan Burrs and Wayne Westerberg at arm's length, flitting out of their lives before anything was expected of him, and now he'd slipped painlessly out of Ron Franz's life as well. I think this passage is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because I think it does offer some interesting insight into Alex's mind, but also it's a very presumptuous and I'm like, okay, Krakauer, like, how do you know that this is exactly what he was feeling? Yeah. So on the one hand, I agree with it, but on the other hand, I'm like, well, I don't know if this is really an accurate portrayal of his personality. Yeah. And I mean that same, um, uh, you know, critique can be applied to the film as well. You know what I mean? The film, also has to fill in a lot of the gaps of like, what was Alex thinking? Like what was, I mean, in a way you can be, you know, the book is saying what he felt and was feeling. Uh, The movie kind of has to show like, it it can be more nuanced, I guess, with a acting portrayal. You know what I mean? You have to read a little more in the lines, but like regardless, both versions kind of have to like create this, you know, use what they know and try to figure out or assume. try to piece it together. Yeah. And like, I think the ethics of that are certainly worth questioning yes. or at least like keeping in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I mean, Krakauer, especially in this book at the beginning talks about the fact that like, he's like, look, I'm, I, I wrote this book trying to be as removed from it emotionally as I could, but he's like, I have to be honest. He's like, I do feel a personal connection with who Alex is and was. Yeah. And he's like, I'd be remiss to act like I can be 100% removed from this story. Yeah. And Krakauer does kind of get into his own life a little bit in the story as well. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate him being upfront with that. Yes. That like, this is not unbiased reporting. Yeah. And he himself as the author almost plays a role in the story Mm -hmm. and makes you aware of that. Yeah. And like the book has interesting portion of, portions of it where we kind of take a break from Alex's story and we talk about different people who have done kind of similar things. One of them being um, a man somewhat similar to Alex, like many, many years ago, I think in like the 30s, maybe. Yeah. Who went out into the desert and kind of disappeared and nobody knew where he was, but very similarly kind of had these ideals and this like moral yeah. code and kind of wanted to separate himself from society. So drawing parallels there. Yeah. Everett Ruth was his name. And, and similarly, like he kind of had this legacy for years after. I mean, cause he was really young when he disappeared. Yeah. And so like, there's still like myths and legends about him and people being like, you know, nobody is found. or like, I, you know, know a guy who met him in Mexico. And, yeah. You know, he's dating a indigenous woman and like <laughs> all these things. And, um, so like in a similar way, he kind of had this reputation afterwards or kind of this legacy. Yeah. And then we also get John, um, Krakauer's own story of his early life. Um, 
mountain climbing. And he also wrote a book about climbing Mount Everest. So like clearly he doesn't give this lifestyle up. No. Um, But he talks about being youthful and kind of having this idea of like climbing this almost like unclimbable mountain. And he was going to do it like to prove to himself and almost like showing this commentary on like how reckless he was, but also it being like a symptom of youth. Yeah. And he was saying like he easily, cause I mean, he took a lot of risks climbing that oh, mountain. Yeah. He was by himself, mm-hmm. uh, dangerous conditions. And he said, he's like, I easily could have died and have been someone just like Alex. And yeah. people would be like, he was suicidal or and he like was crazy. Dumb. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, but he's like, I may have been reckless. He's like, but I in no way wanted to die. Yeah. And I think in this example, he's trying to show that like Alex wasn't suicidal or wasn't like, didn't have a death wish basically. Yeah. You know, um, and that youthful recklessness is different from intentional, like putting yourself intentionally in harm. And another like discussion kind of in the book is about people kind of going up to Alaska to like find themselves or kind of like live out their weird ass lives. <laughs> yeah, this is like, there's a few different stories of like real people who did this, um, but also it just approaches it from kind of an overall like mentality and also like what local Alaskans think of this. Yeah. Um, you know, he includes a lot of their takes and opinions on Alex in particular. Yeah. Which I think is like very valid and oh, worth yeah. addressing and kind of one of those more nuanced aspects of his character that like the movie can't really it it kind of both would be difficult to get into, but also I think chooses to kind of avoid it. Yeah. And I mean like people who live in Alaska obviously are used. I mean, it depends on where in Alaska you live. Obviously it's different. Yeah. But like know what it's like to live in that type of climate and that those types of conditions. And, um, Alaska is kind of seen, I mean, it is like that idea of the last frontier. So, so many people go up there to like prove something to themselves to kind of like do a reckless thing. And I think they have many people, many, many, many people who go up there and are dumb and either die or need rescued or things like that. And the people that live in Alaska are kind of sick of it. Yeah, I mean, and and especially because, like, you know, a lot of people get in these dangerous situations and need, like, helicoptered out or, like, you know, need assistance or, like, you know, it's not just them choosing to go out and die or, like, risk their lives. Because to an extent, that is their own choice to do that if they want to. Mm -hmm. But also it does affect, like, the people who live in that area, too. I think, too, that it's kind of this, like proving yourself type thing like everyone who lives in Alaska and who has survived there and made a successful life has like proven that they can make it yeah so like people coming in and almost like I don't know how to explain it like people coming in and acting like it's easy or they can do it too yeah yeah kind of being like kind of offending people yeah it's like your job's not that hard I can go and live in like Alaska for three months and like so you have a lot of people who were like you know Krakauer originally uh, talked about Alex in a article for Outdoor Magazine. Outside. Outside. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he said, he's like, I got more letters from that one piece I wrote than, like, anything else. Yeah. Opinions, people saying, like, how sad, how tragic, other people being like, 
fuck Alex. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. And he was like, a dumb kid. Yeah, and you're glorifying him mm-hmm. and encouraging, like, other people to do this. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of interesting discussion and things to, like, consider with his story. And, you know, I, I think uh, it's a very valid perspective uh, that Krakauer you know, wrote about. Yeah. And I think the whole time he's writing the book, he is trying to defend Alex in a way. I, th- I think so. At least trying to defend him from the criticism that he was dumb and wasn't prepared or couldn't handle himself in the wild. Yeah. I it- think he, I mean, she's showing that like literally the wild is dangerous and one, you know, misstep can kill you basically but also kind of portraying like you know he wasn't just a dumb idiot thinking that he could make it in the wild he was doing his best he was succeeding he was kind of like making a go of it so now we're gonna get to the the good part basically (laughs) the the part that's on all the covers and people i think usually associate with this story which is um alex's time in alaska and you know he goes on the stampede trail makes his way over this river that when he crosses it in April is pretty shallow and chill. Yeah. Um, and he makes his way to this abandoned bus that there's like a weird history with it where it was left there because there were like workers doing stuff and then it was abandoned. And then people were kind of using it just kind of like as a, for hunters or people passing through. Yeah, just kind of as a temporary camp. You know, there was like a mattress in there, a like stove. A, a stove, just kind of like some, but also it was like really shitty and like run down and yeah. broken windows and stuff. But uh, yeah, Alex, uh, I think it took him four days to hike out there. Yeah. Uh, but discovers it and decides to stay there for at least the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get scenes in the movie and also bits of the book where you know, we hear a little bit about Alex's time there. Um, He kind of makes his camp in the bus, starts to try to hunt. Um, Yeah. Originally difficult, but then eventually starts to get the hang of it. Yeah, mostly shooting like small game. Yeah. uh, Birds, squirrels, uh, porcupines, that kind of thing. And it's funny because like this is considered like, oh, this is like the big part of the story. But at least in terms of the book and like what's known. Not a lot. Not a lot. Because I mean, all he had was his, he was alone the entire time. Yeah. All he had was his diary. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he would just like leave one word. I entries. saw a photo of his diary. Oh yeah. It's literally on, like if you opened a book, it's on the two page spread. Yeah. And it just has like numbers for days and mm. like a couple lines for like one word. Yeah. So like. And so based on that and then like what was left at his campsite, books, photos, yeah, photos, some books he had underlined passages in, like really that's all was there to try to like piece together what he was doing during his like few months out there. And like what he was thinking and going through. Yeah. The movie kind of adds some depth here where we have scenes of him like really feeling, I think, at peace and joyous in nature, which I think is important to show us that, like, this is where he wants to be. Yeah. Like, climbing, you know, this high peak, looking out, you know, sitting on his on top of the bus and, like, singing or, like, just, you know, having his fire and... Re- reciting old arguments his parents had <laughs> as he angrily cooks food. Um, driving, pretending to drive the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just kind of a lot of these, like, him 
shooting baskets in like the waste uh basket in the the bus that kind of thing just like mm-hmm. passing the time reading uh yeah there is one kind of significant moment that happened to Alex uh that he documented in his diaries the book talked about in the movie really uh I, I think based on the fact that there wasn't a lot that we knew about this was one incident where um he he shot a moose yeah and you know killed it and then tried to uh you know get the meat off it the organs tried to he tried to smoke it mm-hmm. which uh crack hour in the book said was like not probably the best method yeah to try that's like a really tough method especially like with that much meat mm-hmm. uh really i guess they would usually like sun dry strips of it like thin strips usually yeah uh so it's just kind of this like montage of alex in the film trying to like lug this this meat out and like uh get this because i mean when he sees the moose he shoots it yeah. and then it's like shit i haven't prepared anything for this and then yeah. it's him scrambling mm-hmm. and he had talked to someone before in south dakota about hunting big game and what he should do yeah and so we kind of get some context there and the idea that like once the flies get on it and like it gets maggoty yeah yeah. it's like done Mm -hmm. and so as he's trying to cure his meat he realizes that like it's all gone like the flies were in it and yeah and this is like kind of i think devastating for him in his diary he's he says it's like one of the greatest tragedies of his life yeah um and i think it's because i'm sure he felt such elation at like oh i shot this animal and now i'm gonna like feed myself with it and really like kind of being in tune with nature but instead like it all goes to waste and that I think really goes against everything that he believes yeah and I think he's very disappointed in himself yeah it's kind of this huge failure on his part both like in the survival sense but also in terms of like his moral code and like his ethics and so yeah it's um it's one of the biggest standout parts of that was documented of his Alaskan trip. Mm-hmm. But he seems fine um, for the most part. And in fact, in June, he's like, okay, like, did really great. I think I'm done now. And packs his shit up and decides to go back. But unfortunately, it's now summer. And the river, which was very shallow and chill before, is now like a tumultuous, roaring river that seems basically impossible to cross on foot. Yeah, the movie did something I really liked in this part. And when he was going to the bus at the beginning of the film, he takes his hat off. He has this knit hat and he kind of just like puts it on a tree branch and keeps going. Yeah. Why the fuck did he do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then later you find out like that was a gift from Jan. Yeah. And I'm like, what? But I, I think it was really symbolic of him just trying to like abandon all connections when he left. Yeah. And when he comes back, he can see that hat across the river. And I love that as just like the a connection. simple metaphor. Yeah, like on the other side of this river are the people I care about and want to see again. And also it's a good landmark to remind you this was the shallow creek he had crossed earlier. Yeah. Uh, so this was one of the, we were kind of uh, 
uh, slamming on Sean Penn for hitting you over the head in moments. This was a moment that I thought was like very subtle and nuanced. And I think like it worked, works well. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. So he decides to turn back because it's clearly too dangerous to cross. There's some more context in the book where Krakauer uh, kind of talks about how there was like a safer passage upstream a bit. Yeah. Um, but Alex didn't really have maps that detailed a lot of that. And he didn't have any maps. I think he maybe had. Oh one yeah, map. he did have a like a shitty kind of road map. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. Um, so didn't have all the information that could have maybe saved his life. But at this point too, like he's fine. He feels like he wants to go back, but he's also like not starving. Like he's able to find game and is doing okay. So he doesn't really have a reason to worry too much. And in fact, he probably assumes that he'll just come back a month later and it might be safer. Yeah. Krakauer kind of said like, we don't know what his attitude about this was at the time. Like he could have been like, ah, shit, I'll come back later. Uh, Sean Penn definitely plays up the drama of it. He's like very frustrated and mad and, you know, about this situation. Uh, but so Alex continues to, you know, carry on as he was essentially at the bus, Mm -hmm. uh, continuing his routine hunting game. Um, but then something changes, something changes. And there's very little context for this based on his diaries. But essentially one day his entry was just like, um, starving, Very very weak, starving, in trouble, all because of uh, pot seeds, yeah. uh, short for potato. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was, and this is like the only context. After this, he just talks about his weakened state. Can barely stand up. Yeah, but it's like unclear. What's happening. What happened or what changed. And this is where a lot of um, basically speculation and kind of detective work has to come into play in terms of like, what caused this shift? Like the potato seeds? What, what potato seeds? Yeah. The movie kind of takes... Um, a particular perspective and the movie kind of shows Alex forging for local plants to eat and looking at them and then comparing them to this book he has on safe food that he can eat in the area. And then also this realization that he has where he kind of flips the pages that he has eaten a, a toxic poisonous plant and mistaken it for the edible uh, wild potato plant and yeah. has mixed it up with this like wild uh, sweet pea type plant. I think the way they depicted this visually in the film worked really well, like him yeah. going back and forth between the pages, just highlighting on certain words. Mm-hmm. And, and you, how close they are. Yeah, and just kind of like, under, it helps you understand visually what happened, at least in this scene in the film. Yeah. So... Let's just close out with the film at this point because there's not a lot left. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, he he's just he becomes weaker and thinner than he already was. He's just extremely malnourished. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good scene where he's outside and he, a grizzly bear comes across him, <laughs> and it just like looks at him, it sniffs him, and then just keeps going. <laughs> like doesn't even want to fuck with he's that. He's so thin yeah that like he's a free meal and this bear is like eh. (laughs) (laughs) i I thought it was just like really a good a good moment in the film yeah and also i love um so in real life that belt that alex made he left uh behind yeah 
I forget where he left it. He was burying stuff everywhere. I know. Like all the time in the U.S. And he was just like, oh, I buried something over here a year ago. I'll come back and get it later. I got to go get it. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how do you keep track of that? Yeah. But anyway, uh, he didn't take the belt with him to Alaska. But in the film, he has it. And I love this because, like, he keeps having to uh, puncture new holes in it. Yeah, because he keeps getting thinner and thinner. Which is such a great visual thing to do. Uh, Because, I mean, you know, he's not... You have to make him look as emaciated as possible in the film. The oh, actor, yeah. mm-hmm. Emile Hirsch. Emile? Emile Hirsch. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a really good way of, like, convincing you that he's, like, really thin. And he is thin. Oh, yeah. Uh, but so it, it just gets to a point where... And, and this is a really tough part just to watch. It's just sad. You can see that he's nearing the end. And the book kind of has him reading this book and having this realization in the movie where he feels that, um, I think there's a quote that like happiness is only like actually realized when it's shared with other people. Yeah. So kind of having this belated realization that people are the way to find like true, like purpose and happiness, but ultimately being separated from them in these last moments. And he kind of like, crawls into his sleeping bag and is staring up at the sky and has this like hallucination almost of like returning home and hugging his parents um, as he dies. Yeah. And in Krakauer, you know, this was true to an extent that there were passages and little notes made by Alex about this sharing happiness thing yeah. that led Krakauer to believe that he had maybe come to some kind of peace about what happened with his parents. Yeah. Um. You know, he is saying, like, this is all speculation. Like, no one can ever really know what he was feeling at this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I get why the movie goes in this direction. But also, it is a little tough because, like, you know the parents... The the movie thanks the parents and the family at the end of and you know, at everything. And it does feel very convenient that, like, in the film it's portrayed that, like, the last thing he did was he forgave his parents. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that does bring his story to a conclusion, at least in terms of, like, a film and an arc. Yeah. But it also, once again, you get to the ethics of, like, I mean, did he? Yeah. The truth is probably a little more complicated and, unfortunately, we'll never know. No. Um, For sure. And... I mean, this is a very, like, emotional scene, um, and I think they handle his death well, um, his dying moments. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know how much I agree with having this, you know, reunion almost as a hallucination, like, he lets go of this this anger that he's felt. Yeah. And it also closes in on this music. Eddie Vedder does the music for this movie, by the way, and, like, all the music's great. Like, as individual songs, I listen to this shit, like, all the time in high school, uh, there's some really good songs. Um, no Ceiling, I think, is the one that I like mm. the, me- the best. But, uh, yeah, it ends on one of those songs. And it's a little too, like, up Inspirational. Yeah. It's kind of, like, almost celeb... It, it feels like it's, like, almost celebrating his death a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when, obviously, it's a very sad and complicated thing. Uh I don't know. I, I just think the movie didn't want to be too big of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of the closing moment of the film. We never see any follow up with any of the characters. We mm-hmm. never see how and, the family reacts or anything like no. that. No. And I feel like it 
there was a scene before this where we'd catch a glimpse of like Wayne and Jan and uh, people he met on his travels. Yeah. And I kind of felt like that would have been a good montage to end on. Yeah. To like remind you like of all the people he touched and like living their lives. Yeah. Other people are continuing on. And I really feel like if you just put that montage at the end, Mm -hmm. it would have like really helped this a lot. Yeah. So I don't know, but that's kind of the closing moment though of the film. Yeah. And contrasting this, the book is a lot more open-ended and is like, listen, we have no idea what basically happened. And reconstructing this is so funny. And I think it's (laughs) hilarious because John Krakauer clearly is like a man on a mission. He's literally like, I'm going to find out how Alex died if it's the last thing I do. I like how almost obsessive he is with this. Like, yeah. And so when the article first came out with, you know, he didn't have a lot of time to research. He only had like the evidence available to him. Yeah. He speculated that Alex could have mixed up the plants. Yes. In the article. Mistaken the wild potato for this toxic plant. Yeah. But then when he wrote the book, he was like, actually though, Alex was eating this potato for weeks and weeks and was fine. And it was only kind of a few weeks after he started eating the seeds that he started to get the symptoms. So like, why would he suddenly pick the wrong plant when he was getting the seeds, when he had been eating the roots for so long? It was Yeah. And so he's convinced he's like, I don't think he mixed up the plants. Uh, So this led him to believe that there was a alkaloid in the seeds. Yes. That, uh, poisoned him mm-hmm. and he had sent the seeds off to a lab to be analyzed and they thought there were traces of it in yes. the seeds and this was like right before the book was being published so he like okay and he kind of went put with it in that. the book well later he discovered that that wasn't really true yeah they did further testing and there were no um none of the poisonous alkaloids present that he thought so We actually read like a second edition of the book. And in the second edition, it's like, yeah, my first theory was the alkaloids. But now I think it might have been this uh, poisonous mold or fungus that was growing on the seeds that poisoned him. And there are all these molds that like grow on these seeds and the conditions were ripe for it. And this is probably what happened. So like he's already like editing himself. Yeah. And to be fair, I guess like that theory wasn't like disproven. No. You know, but he reads something later on that seems to ring even truer, mm-hmm. which is he discovers a paper uh that was written or an article about this uh not very well known uh World War II uh concentration, uh, concentration camp. camp that was in uh, occupied Ukraine. And in this concentration camp uh, there was wild potato that grew around the area. And so the Germans had them cook this into like a bread. Bake the seeds into a bread. Yeah. yeah. And then eat it. And I forget, did they know it was like poisonous or I suspect think it? they did. Yeah. And they were doing it on purpose because it was the Holocaust and it was horrifying. Um, but the prisoners were feeling like these paralysis symptoms yeah, and also were like slowly starving to death. Like they couldn't get nutrition even when they were eating. Um, so then Krakauer was convinced that 
these seeds have a specific chemical in them. Um, in and fact, an amino acid uh, yeah. known as ODAP. And, you know, did like one test on them and they had fo- found it in it. Yeah, it had this amino acid and uh, he was like, it would have caused these effects. Mm-hmm. So he, he wrote a whole New York Times article about it. Yeah, he wrote, an, I think it was like the New Yorker. Act- New York Times. It was New York Times? Okay. Mm-hmm. You're a New York Times article about it and like, pinpointed uh that yes it was this amino acid well then he got some pushback from like the scientific community and they were like we're not saying you're wrong but you you gotta prove it yeah he's like you did one test and like weren't really your your process wasn't uh analyzed you know you didn't have to really prove it that much yeah uh they're like this isn't really science Mm -hmm. and so crack hour you know to his credit was like you know what you're right like Mm -hmm. i should do this the right way so he like works with a lab. Uh, he got two scientists to help him write a paper yeah. on this, and they did actual like more in depth research, kind of going through the more scientific procedures, like publishing a paper in like an academic journal, doing mm-hmm. all that type of follow up. Um, and they discovered that there was no ODAP <laughs> in the plant. Not there, but. There was, and I mean, to be fair, what they did find, I think, was extremely similar to ODAP. Yes. It was kind of like a, a, a mutation of it or variation called <clears throat> L-canavanine. L-canavanine. <laughs> I did it. Yes. <laughs> uh, Another amino acid. Yeah. And I this, I guess, was like prominent in legumes and other plants and had, there was like a little bit more known about this, even though like its effects on like People aren't totally known. Yeah. And also, you know, when Alex was eating this food, a big factor was like he was extremely malnourished already. Yeah. Which will potentially amplify the effects of whatever poisoned him. Yeah. So there's all these other factors, but definitely for certain, uh, (laughs) L-canavanine was in uh, these wild potato seeds. And so as of 2015, (laughs) the most recent conclusion is that that was what was in the seeds. And what caused this paralysis and this starvation and his rapid decline. Yeah. Um, and I just want to mention, um, we have a good friend, Kim, who is actually um, a chemist and like is super into like toxicology and like toxic yeah. plants and stuff. And I was talking to her recently about all this and she recommended a book for anyone who's interested in reading more about toxic plants Ooh. called Wicked Plants by Amy Stewart. Um, and just kind of like, plants throughout history and people that were like poisoned by them and like how we know a lot, but also like not a lot about some plants and just kind of, I think it sounds really interesting. Yeah, that is awesome. Glad you, you got that in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think crack hour, I think wanted to really prove that like Alex didn't really make a mistake Yeah. when he was in the wilderness, like really according to like what people knew at that point, what he was eating was supposed to be safe. Yeah. And it was just kind of this really unfortunate circumstance that like what could have he happened was eat- to anyone. Yeah, it could have happened to anyone. And like, um, and you know, it's worth pointing out that like the movie, when it came out, they at least knew or it was pretty much theorized that like he didn't mix the plants up. But it decided to go with that. Yeah. And I get it in terms of like people would want an explanation yeah. as to what happened. And that's easier to portray than like, oh, a fungus that grew yeah. on the seeds yeah. or like, you know what I mean? It has this dramatic moment of him realizing. Mm-hmm. 
And also be fair, even if he didn't make a mistake doing that, Alex made a lot of other mistakes yeah. that kind of made his predicament worse. Mm-hmm. So I don't really necessarily think it's like painting him in that much worse of a light. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this story has just continued for years after. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's just such continued interest. And we have to mention, too, the fact that many, 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 many people have decided to, like, make the journey that Alex took and have followed his footsteps across the river to the magic bus on the Stampede Trail. Um, And in fact, only, like, a few months ago, they moved the bus. Yeah. Uh, The Alaska authorities were like, we can't keep like sending rescues out for people because people were like dying and having to be rescued like constantly because this was a very dangerous path to take with the river. I read this really great interview and I'll link it on our Patreon of someone who is writing a story about the people who go on this Alex pilgrimage. Mm. And as she's like interviewing people on the trail, she like follows a couple like pilgrims going along this trail. And literally like three of them almost get swept away in the river. Oh my God. Like barely survive. And she's like recording and is like, oh shit. Like (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So just showing like, you know, Alex definitely inspired people, but maybe like in the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like, even though this book to an extent tries to defend Alex to a degree, it's still like a cautionary tale. Oh, yeah. And I mean, ultimately, one of the biggest themes about this book is that like nature does not give a shit about you. No. Like you are completely insignificant in nature and mm-hmm. are at its will and like, There's very little you can do oftentimes to protect yourself from it. Definitely. And so when you enter the wild, as Alex did, like, things can happen that you have no control over. And, you know, you're real. You can be even those who are extremely prepared can run into that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, We'll also link to the other two articles that John Krakauer published with his research, with his research, his his first follow up in 2013, then the follow follow up (laughs) in 2015. Uh, But let's address the big question, which is better, which is better, Ian. Uh, I have to go without a doubt with the book on this. I agree. Although I do enjoy the movie. I think it's well done. It has a vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think it captures that. I think it does portray Alex in an interesting light and has a lot of sympathy for him. It does. Which I like. Um, but I think in terms of like giving you a really full and very detailed but also contradictory story, like kind of laying out a lot yeah. of it with you, like the book really gives you so much to think about. I, I think my my biggest issue, and it's not so much a fault with the movie, because like I'm not sure this could be recreated in the film, but like everything I liked about the book from its like ambiguous like kind of uh, analysis of uh, Alex as a person, yeah, to like the ethics of what he did and like everything else, like everything I liked about the book was pretty absent from the movie. Yeah, uh, I think the movie tells an interesting story in its own right. But really what captured me about the book is, like, specific to the book. Yeah. And it almost made me wish that, like, the movie had taken a similar approach with, like, maybe John Krakauer actually being 
somewhat of the main character. Mm, like retracing Alex's steps. Yeah, and-, and interviewing the people or talking to them. And like Alex can still be a character in flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. But really it's like John Krakauer. Because I mean, I think you feel that in the book. Oh, his like, presence is strong in the yeah, book. Yeah, and like trying to understand this and like kind of defending Alex, but like it also causing him to grapple with his own shit. And like, yeah. I think that really would have put an interesting perspective on this story that would kind of recapture a lot of the book was about. Mm-hmm. So maybe like the documentary that we're watching later will be. More yeah, maybe that, that might uh, kind of get into that a little bit more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a strong book for me. I do like the movie, but it's a book. It's a book. <laughs> I agree. Let's do lightning round. Lightning. So first thing I wanted to mention for lightning round, uh, this movie has some really awful typography (laughs) especially at the beginning as a designer as a designer and a motion graphics guy i have to address this it begins with like alex's letter writing coming in over the screen which is kind of like uh this cursive but like a neon yellow yeah but then outlined in black so like the type outline is not good i it just doesn't uh it just feels bad then the actual uh credits the opening credits of the film are kind of in this like chunky serif font and kind of like a forest green and it's also outlined and then has this kind of drop shadow to it it's just like a weird vibe then the <laughs> the the crown jewel adina is the title into the wild scrawls across the screen uh in like alex's in, in alex's handwriting in the neon yellow and then it inflates like a balloon dog uh into the chunky serif font and forest green color of the title credits to say Into the Wild. It kept getting bigger and bigger, and I thought it was over, and then it kept getting bigger. And also, because they gradate from that yellow to the forest green, it actually shifts into, like, a puke green first, and then into the forest green. It's so bad. I hate it. And, like, the poster for the movie just says this, like, simple, like, Helvetica font, Into the Wild, and it's so nice. And I'm like, why the fuck couldn't they have done that for the titles? It offends you deeply. It offends me as a designer deeply <laughs> and a movie fan. Next up, I just want to mention um, in the book, uh, the author talks a lot about how Alex really enjoyed a lot of different authors. Um, one of them being uh, Tolstoy and the other um, Jack London, among many others. But he talks about how Alex kind of had this moral code and kind of viewed like, you know, sexual, like, infidelity and those types of things as, like, impure and bad. Yeah. And how these authors kind of espouse this moral code and kind of had this, like, these lofty views of purity and chastity when in actual reality, both, like, Jack London in terms of, like, how he approached the wild and Tolstoy in terms of how he approached chastity were like living the opposite of what they wrote about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Huge, like not hypocrites, but kind of. And I think the author Krakauer was trying to like show that, you know, sometimes people's ideals doesn't exactly match like how they live their lives. Yeah. And how, especially Alex and how Alex is like, moral code is applied more heavily to like his parents than like other people he idolizes. So I liked that. Um, Here's a fun fact. I'm curious if you've read this or picked up on it. Did you know that Zach Galifianakis was in this film? What? Yes. (laughs) What? Who? Where? (laughs) There was one moment where 
I actually thought I, I I saw him and I was like, that kind of looks like Zach Galifianakis. And then I like never noticed it again. Wow. He's one of the crew, what one of Wayne's crewmen. Oh. And he's actually, I think, the guy who tells Alex about killing and skinning the the moose. Oh, really? I mean, he's got like a big beard. bushy beard yeah. and a hat and oh like Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Isn't it? Because <laughs> I read something about like in the IMDB trivia trivia, it was like Zach Galifianakis when filming his scenes, blah blah blah. I'm like, wait, I'm, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Where? Like, oh my god, that was him. <laughs> that is crazy. I did Isn't not notice nuts? that at all. And this is 2007 before he really like struck big. So, yeah. <laughs> so last or lightning round when Krakauer in the book is talking about his own expedition to climb um, this uh, rock face called the Devil's Thumb in Alaska, he is like having troubles and eventually decides to smoke his uh, celebratory cigar that is stuffed with marijuana. (laughs) Um, And he's like just living his dream, getting high and then gets hungry, decides he wants to cook some food um, and accidentally sets his tent on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like in the like sub-zero temperatures. Oh my God. When I was reading this, I was just like, oh my fucking God. Like this is so funny. I know. Like if he dies out here because he got high, like... (laughs) I mean, if he stuffed like a whole cigar, yeah, like that's a big stogie. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of weed. It is. Uh, yeah. So that's it for lightning round for us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We've it's, been wanting to do this one for a while. We have. Um, so it's really exciting to do it. And if you want to know more or hear more, um, we will have a bonus episode for patrons on more of the story of Into the Wild. Um, and you can become a patron on Patreon. Um, we really love and appreciate everyone who supports us over there. You make all this so much more worth it. And um it's really great to hear from you and to yeah. have that support. Yeah. Uh, so find us on Patreon, become a patron for that bonus episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, please consider giving us a star rating or writing a review. It really helps uh, us become more noticeable on their algorithm and on the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Email us at coveredcreditspod at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of Into the Wild. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on this adaptation on the life of Alexander Supertramp, <laughs> a.k.a. Christopher McCandless, mm-hmm. uh, and what you thought of the episode and whether you agree with us or really agree with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want to hear all the takes. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.